It's time to raise the roof for our seventh spring training episode today. We have a very, very special guest right now. It is me, Gibby, Bree, and like I said, our special guest. For those, um, uh, just to quickly introduce him, he is currently a national uh, baseball writer for The Athletic, the first uh, MLB writer for ESPN.com, the 2019 J.G. Taylor Spink Award winner. I think I got all of that stuff right. Uh, Jason Stark. Uh, Jason, thank you so much for coming on and taking the time to talk with us. How you doing? Alex, uh, I'm good. My, my pleasure. Uh, by the way, the J.G. Taylor Spink Award is now known as the BBWA Career Excellence Award. So oh, okay. same award, different name. Okay. Well, I mean, it's still, hey, hey, Cooperstown is still Cooperstown at the end of the day, right? Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> I'm actually the answer to a pretty weird trivia question. I was the last person ever to accept the Spink Award in Cooperstown. So Really? Ooh. Oh, that it's is true. One. Yeah, yeah, because there was no 2020 ceremony in person. That's exactly right. I know the answer to that. Um, to <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a it's a good it's a good trivia question. But uh, we wanted to bring you on because we had a bunch of questions to ask you um, about baseball. What kind of we're expecting for this twenty twenty one season? I know uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about pre pod, or, or we just talked about it pre pod. But so you're so you're a Syracuse alum. Syracuse is in the NCAA tournament this year. What are your expectations for the Orange coming into the tournament? Well, I'm, first of all, I'm, I'm rocking my Syracuse gear here. You can see this. <laughs> Uh, my is, daughter always went to Syracuse. <laughs> she requires that. So uh, we're we're a big Syracuse family, and like they're not going to win that tournament. They're <laughs> they're a real they're a, a fun team, but they get overwhelmed by anybody that's got any size. And sooner or later, that's going to catch up with them. So they could beat anybody, or they could lose to anybody. I, I'm used to it. It's <laughs> just just the kind of team they've been now the last few years. It's not yeah. like they're Maryland. Well, I mean, Maryland, I mean, Maryland's going to lose to UConn or maybe beat UConn and then lose to Alabama. So I'm not really expecting much. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So the first question that I had for you is how was it like covering baseball last year? Because obviously shortened season, everything was kind of crazy. What was it like from your perspective covering it from the athletic? Yeah, well, I mean, it's still true now in spring training. Um, if you look at this bookshelf behind me, it means I'm not sitting under a palm tree watching spring training. I'm trying to cover spring training from afar. And let me tell you, spring training via Zoom is overrated. It's, <laughs> it's definitely, palm trees are better than Zoom. Uh, like we're making it work. It's March. So I tell all my friends in the business, this is, it's just survive in advance. That's what March is all about. And that's what we're trying to do. And we learned how to do it last year because, you know, one of the cool things about covering baseball in the normal times in the before times is you, you get more access to players and people around the sport than probably in any other sport you know with daily clubhouse access and just daily ability to hang out in the field walk around the, the ballpark it's incredible who you meet who you get to talk to what you can learn in any given day or evening at a ballpark and none of that was possible last year Every single conversation was via Zoom, whether you were there or not. So it's a strange way to do business. But 2020, 2021, these are strange times in the life of the, of the planet. So we're just getting by, man. That's what we do. Wise words from a wise man. <laughs> I have a question. What are your expectations, going off of COVID kind of, what are your expectations for, for this season in, in regards to how the MLB will handle COVID? Well, I mean, Gibby, we don't really know. Nobody, mm -hmm. nobody totally knows. But I, I would say that the expectation is that as we go along, 
if more and more fans and people in the sport get vaccinated, that life is going to return to some semblance of normal. I don't, I don't think this is a year where anything is going to be completely like how we remember it. But I, I do think that in terms of, for instance, what we do in the media, I don't know that we'll, we'll see the inside of a locker room at any point this year, but I do think that, that at some point it will be possible for us to be on the field, uh, to, conduce, to conduct physically distanced interviews in some way. I look forward to that. There's a little of that that went on in spring training, but it, it's been hard to do. I think you'll see more and more fans in the ballpark, but uh, teams are still going to have to try to seat them in pods, allow them, you know, impose certain restrictions to try to keep outbreaks of the virus from happening. And most importantly, trying to keep teens from having those outbreaks is the number one goal of the sport, just so you can get through the season. Here's one thing to remember. Uh, unlike last season, when teams were playing the same other opponents over and over and over again in their regionalized schedules, they're looking at trying to play a normal schedule this year uh, and play games in four time zones. And that means it's going to be really hard to reschedule some of these games if there's an outbreak. You know, like if the Mets, for example, go to the West Coast and they got six games scheduled in L.A. and in San Diego – and then the kind of thing happens then that happened to the Cardinals last year or the Marlins, and they have to be shut down. How are we going to make those games up? It's going to be really challenging. And so try, baseball has to continue to impose safe, health and safety protocols on teams, on players, uh, at least initially, much like what they dealt with last year. And then gradually as you've seen with the NBA now, uh, telling teams if if enough players get vaccinated, we can relax that. You can actually leave the hotel. So everything is going to continue to evolve. But at what pace and to what end? I don't think anybody knows yet. Very true. One thing that the pandemic has kind of emphasized is, you know, the different sides of, you know, the owners versus the players versus, you know, Major League Baseball itself. Um, one thing that stuck out to me was the letter that came out this spring training. What do you remember that? And what does that kind of show you? Uh, the letter you have to uh, remind the, me which letter you're speaking about. The Arizona, um, the cactus league, all the different cities. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's, that's a, that's a great example. Of, I think the point you're trying to make Bree, that these two sides, the players union and major league baseball, it really feels like they can't agree on anything. Um, I, like my joke is they can't agree on who should send out the Zoom invitations when they need to meet about something. And uh, it's only a little funny because there's a lot of truth to it. So uh, the letter you're referring to is um, spring training was approaching and the, the different communities that host spring training in Arizona got together, wrote a letter to Major League Baseball saying the situation in Arizona is not good. We think that it would be helpful if baseball postponed spring training at least a few weeks so we can try to get this situation under more control. And not only did the union say, no, we're not interested in that, the union basically accused Major League Baseball of putting them up to writing that letter. And so I, I, I think it speaks to the level of mistrust. It's not just dysfunction. 
it's just it's serious mistrust each side of the other side it's a almost impossible situation to try to get anything done and i mean we're going to play a season and i'm i'm optimistic now we're going to get through that season but what's awaiting us on the other side of that season it's labor talks um trying to reach a new labor agreement and that is going to be rocky you know i i I keep trying to convince myself they can't possibly really fulfill these predictions of labor armageddon because that's just so self-destructive to their sport but it's just not a good look right now I mean, I kind of understand, you know, you've been with those guys in those talks for three years now, but it's not acceptable to not be moving on these um, issues that we're having with this COVID season. And I think, well, I think that's really important. Yeah, well, they, they you know, they've they got through the basics. They've two years in a row, they've been able to agree on at least a yeah. set of health and safety protocols. But like, here is my big concern. I just don't see any sense of common purpose. You know, I don't I, I, like there's no sense of trying to jointly solve the problems of the game uh, with the basic understanding that what's good for us is what's good for you. Um, if it's if these discussions were starting with that, with that kind of understanding, then I, I, I would feel a lot better about where the labor discussions are going to go. But because they start in exactly the opposite place where we're suspicious of everything that you say, every fact you lay out, every proposal that you make, we feel like there's an ulterior motive. Um, That's just not a way for anything to get done in baseball or in life. So it's a really worrisome place to be for any sport. Yeah. I was going to ask in regards to that, because obviously with the new CBA coming up and with the comments that former Mariners president and CEO Kevin Mather made during that Rotary Club um, call, how much ammo does that give the players going into that CBA? Because he said a lot of things that I think that a lot of people were thinking that that owners did, but then basically admitted to it on the call. Yeah, that's a really good point, Alex. Um, You know, what what Kevin Mather said for people who don't remember is basically he it's just one of those deals where like you don't say out loud <laughs> yeah. we're we're trying to not put our best players in the big leagues because we need to manipulate their service time but the mariners who have a couple of future stars coming right and um, mm. kelenic and julio rodriguez you, like you, that to say that out loud means there's nonstop damage control coming and the Mariners have to do it. The Mariners front office and ownership, they've got to deal with it, but not just them. It's the whole sport because one of the big topics when these labor talks start is like, this system is not working for the players and they're going to want to take this system, which now goes back like almost 50 years to the heyday of Marvin Miller and say, this like the way we've been doing it for 50 years with salary arbitration and then free agency in six years, that doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work for young players because you're manipulating their service time and you won't let them play in the big leagues. And it's not working for veteran players, for players in their thirties, because you don't want to sign them when they're free agents and you don't want to pay them because you think they're too old. So I don't know where this goes, but this is one of the defining issues of the labor topic uh, and 
this system's working great <laughs> for, for the other side. Uh, there, like, there's no incentive for them to make a dramatic change to it. So where do we go? Where are we going? Um, and a lot of it will start with what you just asked me. Your former CEO of one of your franchises just admitted what every team does. So why should we do that anymore? Uh-huh. What do you What do you think? Is that a work, Is that a good working uh, a relationship that's going to lead to uh, a nice uh, solution that's amenable to everybody? I don't see that. Don't see that happening. Yeah, it's absolute chaos. Uh, oh, so along with that. Um, or I guess not along with that, but with this season, I know that as of right now, the Rangers are the only team that have officially to start the season have announced that fans are like, like the entire, uh, all of Globe Life Field would be open to fans for that. Are we, are, are you expecting a lot more teams to not only just open up stadiums completely, but just open them up to more than 50%, you know, majority capacity for fans to be able to go to games? Uh, not initially. The, the, you know, virtually every team now has announced its plans for opening day and first few weeks. And the Rangers are the only team that has said, come on in. You know, 100%, we're good, we're good with that. Um, this is a slippery slope. And mm-hmm. every team is trying to gauge the situation in its market. Uh, and working with health officials in government, in their market, their cities. Um, you know, Texas, as we know, is more, um, is more aggressive in doing away with protocols than almost anywhere else in America. And so their franchise, it, the Rangers, is following that lead. But that is not the lead of most localities in the country right now and so in baseball teams do have the ability and the need to set their own rules in in a lot of different areas so i think you'll see almost every team start to open up really slowly and cautiously and then gradually allow more fans into the park as more fans get vaccinated and their health officials in their city say yeah that's cool it makes sense um, so a lot of the marketing of Major League Baseball players um, has been kind of left on third parties or the players themselves. How do you think Major League Baseball can kind of market themselves better rather than relying on outside? All right. Well, full disclosure, my daughter, Hallie, works for Major League Baseball in social media and marketing. And so this is actually her area or her group's area. And they've done a lot of really cool stuff. Um, there's Look, there's a lot more that has to be done. But if you think back to let the kids play, you know, that really, that came from their group. And that sentiment is so important to the whole concept of marketing these players um, because baseball has been that sport that didn't want players to show their personality. And when that let the kids play spot hit during the World Series a couple of years ago, that was a gigantic culture-shifting moment for baseball. And I like I told her that at the time. This is this was Major League Baseball saying it's okay <laughs> to do your thing, to show your emotion, to let your personality shine, and like in the big moment, do what comes naturally. And so like that's a big turning point. And you're starting to see a lot of things flow from that. Uh, another thing that their group has done is um, they have they have hundreds of players now who have opted into uh, having their group 
I'm not sure if this is nightly or it's certainly regularly send each player who has opted in uh, videos, photos, potential social media content that they can post themselves, you know, and try to build their brand and build their followings. And all this stuff is huge. It's really important. Uh, but now the final piece is that uh, baseball players need to understand what, say, NBA players understand. Uh, it, you know, if you watch the NBA regularly, what does LeBron do after every game, especially every big game on national TV? He stops and he chats it up on his way off the floor with Lisa Salters or Doris Burke or whoever's there, uh, Rachel Nichols. Uh, like the stars in that sport understand that's part of the gig. Uh, in baseball, they haven't made that breakthrough yet. But, you know, you're, you're starting to see progress, Bree. And I think it's really encouraging because, you know, there, there are some really cool, smart, fun, funny, interesting people who play baseball in the big leagues right now. And the more that fans can, can, can start to connect with those players and their personalities, the better the sport will be. Because what does the NBA do so well? It sells personality. You know, it builds, it's a celebrity personality driven game and baseball has to get to that place. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be really good. Uh, so shifting over to the Rays a little bit, since we are a Rays podcast. Uh, so last season, obviously the Rays went on, you know, quite a, quite a miraculous postseason run ended up getting the world series. Uh, what did you expect the Rays to do anything relatively close to that coming into the season? Uh, yeah, I thought they had playing the world series, win the world series upside. Uh, like no, no team maybe in history had more human beings who threw a baseball 97 to 102 miles an hour than they had. And that's a great place to start. And then they just had this incredible depth of talent, versatile, interchangeable, uh, multi-positional, multi-dimensional talent, uh, guys who, who could fit almost any role, any situation, and at multiple positions. And so, you know, I, like, when I watched the Rays last year, it felt like they had twice as many players on the roster as the teams they were playing. You know, they had somebody who was the right person, the right player in the right moment, for any situation, they had the right pitcher for every situation, and you know like they they, they kind of got overmatched by the talent and depth of the Dodgers, who were the same mentality only with three times the payroll. Mm-hmm. But um, I I'm not surprised that last season wound up with them playing in the World Series because it it, it just wasn't a secret in the sport how talented that team was and still is. I was going to ask, how much better, since, since the AL East is really competitive this year, how much better do you think the Red Sox and the Blue Jays got with their acquisitions of said players like George Springer for the Blue Jays, um, Kiki Hernandez for the Red Sox? There's others, but like, how much better do you think um, they got this season? Well, I think the Blue Jays are like might be the most improved team in the sport. I, the, the Padres would duke it out with them for that honor, but... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Blue Jays might not have enough pitching um, to win a World Series, mm-hmm. but the team on the field, when, when you add Springer to that mix, is incredible. Uh, what, a, what a dynamic cast. What a fun group of players to watch. 
and they they could score the most runs in the league. That wouldn't shock me. Um, so then how many runs are they going to give up? Um, that's we're going to find out. But um, they're like that's a team. That's a playoff team. I don't think there's any doubt about that. They're they are built to play in October. And then the Red Sox, you know, I, I'm not in love with what they did over the winter with the additions that they made. I mean, especially consider like when you look up now and instead of Jackie Bradley Jr. and Andrew Benintendi and Mookie in the outfield, you've got Hunter Renfro and Franchi Cordero and Alex Verdugo. That's not, it's not the same thing. Yeah, no. So that, but their, their big additions are health. You know, if Eduardo Rodriguez comes back and he pitches anywhere near at the level he's pitched in spring training, I mean, that's a, that's a game changer for them. Uh, they need Nate Evaldi to be healthy all year. I know that never happens, but suppose it does. And then at some point, it seems likely Chris Sale's coming back, and like you're not going to be able to trade for a pitcher that good at the deadline. Um, so like they didn't get much out of any of those three last year, um, almost nothing, right? So mm-hmm. suppose they get huge contributions from all three this year with a lineup that's still going to score a bunch of runs. I mean, they're a really intriguing team. I don't like. I don't think they have the upside of the Yankees or even the Rays um, and, and Blue Jays. But that I could see if everything went right, that could be an 85-86 win team, which means they're a playoff team. Mm-hmm. And um, for like the favorite of the division, um, are the Yankees your runaway favorites, or do you is it the Rays, or <laughs> what do you what are you thinking here? Uh, runaway is a strong word. I don't think I would use runaway, yeah. but I, they're they're the they're the favorites. I guess they're the clear favorites. Um, you know, they've got questions just like everybody else. Um, they're really counting on guys who didn't contribute anything last year in that rotation. And you know, Corey Kluber pitched one inning. Uh, you know, uh, Jameson Tayon pitched zero inning. Um, but though both those guys have looked great this spring um even though zach Britton's down love their bullpen and the depth of their bullpen and the different looks of their bullpen the lineup is terrifying i don't see how they could not be the favorite but there's certainly a scenario where they don't win a division and don't even make the postseason they're way more dependent on health now than they've been in the past mm-hmm. definitely so the Rays obviously went to the World Series last year, and they're returning largely. They're returning all but two position players, and Michael Perez and Hunter Renfro. And then obviously there are the changes to the pitching staff that make the team look worse on paper for sure. But why, after losing only about four players, are they projected to be third or fourth in the division by a lot of the projections that have been put out there? Well, it's I think it's because of who's not there, who they've lost. Um, you know, Blake Snell, uh, Charlie Morton, what they meant to that team is a really difficult thing to replace. Uh, even if you've got the just a remarkable array of arms that they've got, there's just not enough certainty. And so like, when you're talking about predictions and projections, those are based on known quantities because it's really hard to quantify unknown quantities. And the, the Rays staff this year is going to be m- based much more on unknown quantities than it's been, certainly than it was last year. And I think that's why you're seeing those projections. Uh, like, I, you know, all right, Chris Archer, uh, Rich Hill, 
what are you going to get? <laughs> you know, I know that because of the way that this team is constructed and the whole mindset behind it, they care less about volume from pitchers like that than most teams. So if Chris Archer only has 120 innings in him and Rich Hill only has 75 innings in him, but they're high quality innings. And then when you get to October, you can roll those guys out at peak strength. Hey, they will live with that. That's, that's fine with that, but it's not the same as Charlie Morton and Blake Snell going out there every five days. Um, same with, with all their young arms. Um, just the range of possibilities is so great that, I mean, there's huge upside in the race. There is. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Cash is as, as good at manipulating the dance floor as any manager in the game. I just think it's just hard to know what they'll be because the range of possibilities is much wider than it's been the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, along with that. So we talked about pitching for a little bit, but the offense, I think the, the offense that a lot of Rays fans saw last year was an offense that really didn't feature Austin Meadows that heavily. The fact that he had COVID at the start of the season and then really right. never really got back to the form that he was in 2019 uh, from what I've seen, he's looked really, really good in spring training so far. With a healthy Austin Meadows in the lineup for the Rays in 2021, how much more do you think that that helps elevate their offense? Uh, him specifically, or I mean, you want to talk about guys like a Rosarena too? But... Oh, it could, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. it could be the entire offense in general. But I mean, like you know, full season of a Rosarena, hopefully healthy Meadows, full season of Lau, guys. Like yeah, that. right. Um, like again, when we're talking about the range of possibilities, that's a big part of that. Um, Austin Meadows is a star, you know, that's star. That's a star tool set and getting him on the field and allowing him to just let those tools play. Uh, that's a, like, that's a season changing kind of thing. If he's a 30 to 40 Homer guy, um, like that's compared to what he was last year, that really changes the way you look at that team. Uh, I also think there's really, there's, I don't think there's ever been a player like Randy Orozarena, who was Mr. October, who was MVP of a league championship series, and then started his career. <laughs> you know, yeah. to be the, you don't become the MVP of the LCS and then have your rookie season. This doesn't happen in real life, but it's going to happen to him. And I kept joking all October or that he was the greatest player I'd ever seen. <laughs> but I mean, suppose he really is that guy. They, they seem pretty confident that he's some reasonable facsimile of that guy. Uh, those are two immense talents who had very limited playing time last year. And so the, those are difference makers, no doubt. So in terms of names that, I mean, obviously, you know, we mentioned kind of like the big name players, so far in the race, are there any other names that you think that that fans should really take a look at going into this season on this team from what you've seen? Well, Wander Franco is the obvious one. I, uh, you know, I'm like everybody else. I cannot wait till that guy gets to the big leagues. You know, you I, just, us both. Just, <laughs> I just heard so many people in the game talk about him since he was so young. Uh, I, I like, I seriously can't wait. Um, I look at his stats sometimes, and if, if, I, if I remember this right, like the last time we saw him, 2019, a teenager in A-ball who struck out 35 times all season uh, in almost 500 trips to the plate. That doesn't happen. 
not in modern baseball, and especially not with his production. His, um, I don't know. I, I obviously can't wait for him. And I, you know, I think we've all been waiting for Brent Honeywell too to arrive mm -hmm. and do his thing. This the ETA is certainly 2021. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Let's see what he's ready to do. What he's ready to be. Uh, there's certainly the opportunity there now for multiple pitchers on that staff to rise up and maybe not be Blake Snell, but take a big step forward and have impact. Uh, Brent Honeywell could be one of those guys. Mm. Oh, I was curious. So um, I don't know if you got to see uh, uh, the introduction of Tyler Glass now's um, hopefully his third pitch to his arsenal, but what are your thoughts about it? Uh, it you know, if you're going to, if you would ask me to name like the five pitchers in the game with the best stuff, the most insane stuff, uh, he'd be on that list. Yeah. Uh, what an arm, you know, <laughs> but to, to be a starting pitcher, who's a true number one, you got to have more than two pitches. You know, he, uh, he, he really does need to find one more effective pitch so that he, he has the ability to keep hitters a little more off balance. His stuff's so good. His, his hard stuff is so electric. He can win anyway. You know, he can make you look bad anyway, but, you can't really navigate the lineup multiple times doing it the way he's tried to do it. And I don't think you have staying power into your career doing it the way he was trying to do it. So I, I mean, I've only seen a little this spring cause I'm not there, which was disappointing, but mm -hmm. I've heard good things, but the season's a different animal. So I'm really curious to see how this plays as we get into the season. Mm -hmm. And then I, I have sorry. one question. What is one sleeper team you got? Or like, what's it one team that you think people are doubting and you think they're going to be better than people think? American League? American League or National League. It could be anywhere. Yeah, you know, in the, uh, in the American League, uh, I think the Angels and Royals both. Um, you know, I've seen the Angels predicted, projected by, I think, Fangraphs to win 85 games. Uh, and that might come as a surprise to people, but there's some star power on that team. Suppose Otani is what, what we've been waiting for. Like before last year, does anybody realize this? He had the same career OPS as Freddie Freeman and the same career ERA plus as Garrett Cole. Like, I mean, he's still, uh, he's still just uh, an experiment. He hasn't yeah. really had a chance to do that thing that we've been waiting for him to do. And I thought that they made moves over the winter that they weren't the big splash, the Trevor Bauer kind of moves, but I liked them. I thought Rysel Iglesias was a great ad. You know, it really changes their bullpen. And then the Royals are coming. Uh, they, they've got arms coming, and they've got Bobby Witt Jr. coming. And, I, like, this really isn't the year, but that's a really interesting team on the rise. And in the National League, you guys know I live in Philadelphia, and I, I don't think the like the Phillies are sneaking up on anybody. Uh, but I, I wrote this a few weeks ago, and not many people talk about it or think about it this way. But the Phillies played 60 games last year. You know how many of the 60 games they held a lead at some point? Oh, how about my. 49? 
49 <laughs> out of those 60 games. The only, <laughs> the only team in the league that led at some point in more games was the Dodgers. All right, so if you have a good team and you take the lead, you find a way to win. If you have a team with the worst bullpen of modern times, uh, you find ways to lose those games. And so the Dodgers and the Phillies, one team goes on to make to win the World Series. The other team goes on to miss the playoffs. And so like the, the Phillies weren't a win the World Series kind of team, and they're not this year, but there's talent there. Um, there, there's a, a rebuilt bullpen. Uh, I think Dave Dombrowski's made really good decisions and really good ads. And got guys like Archie Bradley and Brandon Kinsler and Tony Watson and former Rays great Jose Alvarado. And to go with the guys that they had, like, even if they just had a normal bullpen last year, they make the playoffs. They they might win 40 games. And I just Again, like I, they're a flawed team, but mm-hmm. I just want you to think about how that alters the perception of a team. Yep. You, you know, because their bullpen was so bad, it obscured all the other good stuff that they did. Every other team that scored as many runs as the Phillies made the playoffs. Every mm-hmm. team whose rotation had as good an ERA as the Phillies made the playoffs. The Phillies were the one exception. If you just fix the bullpen to any degree, I think it's it's a better team than the the general conversation seems to believe. The problem is they got better. The whole division got better. Yeah, I was going to ask. So so we just talked about Otani, and I'm going to try to keep this short because I got two more things. So do do you think that Brendan McKay will show any signs of being an Otani type guy, considering the fact that he is a two way player? Uh, I mean, I think there's only one Otani, but uh, you know the big the big question with him is obviously health. The, yep. If you can get him healthy, uh, you saw you saw some flashes a couple of years ago of what he can be on the mound. We still haven't really seen it offensively yet, but it, he's a really intriguing guy. And uh, like I love this, you know. Uh, I I think that baseball should be encouraging more of this, more two way players, ultra versatile type stars. And so I would love it if he would grow into one. But health hasn't enabled that to happen yet. That is true. And then uh, my last thing is, what are you expecting out of the Rays in 2021? I, I wouldn't pick them to finish ahead of the Blue Jays. I wouldn't pick them as a wild card team. But I've learned, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that smart. But one thing I've learned from observing the Rays is you should never underestimate what they are. Uh, the way they do it, uh, everything is thought through with a purpose. And this year's no different. They know how many electric arms they've got. They've got twice as many as most teams. And so everybody's when everybody's focused on the people who've gone out the door, they know who's coming in the door. I uh, love the team on the field. Still love the versatility, the intelligent ways the roster is put together. Uh, again, I think Kevin Cash is one of the great manager choreographers in the sport. Uh, I love the culture there. I love everything about what they do. And so, I, I, you know, as I tried to explain earlier, you can't project them to be what they were last year. But if they were, if they won the division, they finished ahead of both the Yankees and the Blue Jays, 
it would not shock me because it's just the essence of what they are. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, Jason, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Um, and, and I hope that you guys enjoyed talking with Jason as much as I did. Um, where can people find you at on social media? Where can people find your stuff on the athletic, all that good stuff? All right. Well, I'm a, uh, as you mentioned, I'm a senior baseball writer at the athletics. So my <laughs> columns appear regularly for athletic subscribers recommend that highly. Um, I appear regularly on MLB network. So look for me there. I'm a regular in season on MLB central on Friday mornings. And if you're looking for me on social media, um, Twitter, Jason ST at Jason with a Y. So J A Y S O N S T. Um, you know, like when I'm actually at ballparks, I do more Instagramming than I do these days, but hopefully that'll happen. Uh, those would be my primary platforms. I dabble a little on Facebook, but mostly Twitter, Instagram. Well, Jason, thank you so much for taking the time and, and that you just, we, we can't appreciate it enough. I know you got places to be. So uh, thank you so much again. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Glad it worked out. Thanks so much to Jason for coming on again. And for everyone listening, thanks so much for listening to the end of this episode. We got a lot of crazy things going on at Raise the Roof right now. We got a Raise the Madness all-time Raise Jersey brackets coming up. Check those out on our Twitter account, uh, which is Raise the Roof TV. We're at Raise the Roof TV on Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, TikTok. I think those are the only ones. We also have our Raise the Roof YouTube channel. We have our website, RaiseTheRoofTV.com. And if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, anything like that for us, make sure to email us at our Gmail account, which is raisetheroofTB at gmail.com. For this podcast, wherever you're listening to it, congrats, you found us. So just easiest ways to listen to us, again, where you guys are listening to it right now. So that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all that good stuff. Make sure to subscribe, make sure to share this, leave us a review, all that good stuff. So from all of us, stay safe, stay healthy, please wear a mask and raise up. Raise up, baby.